0: Join us as we gather around The Hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking.
1: Hello, Tom. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. Run a little bit late, but I'm good. How about you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Running a little bit late. Now you know, um, you don't have dinosaurs up. And after the comments of our last I um, actually have a dinosaur. <laughs> I uh I named this one Paul for one of our listeners. He'll know who he is. <laughs> there you go. So we at least have our dinosaurs back. We've been missing the dinosaurs, <laughs> Tom. It's it's been a long time. Yeah. And um we are joined this morning from Thailand, I think, right? Roland?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: uh, By Roland Dobbins, who is over at NetScout. And... Yeah, and and you moved to Thailand many many years ago. Um, I worked with Roland when we were at Cisco many years ago, and now Roland has moved to Thailand, and I never see Roland.
0: Well, we see one another virtually, and of yeah. course, you know, sometimes in the, in the in the IETF from time to time when I get pulled into something. Uh, yeah. but yeah, but listen, it's good to see you both, and uh, and uh, thanks for having me on the program. I I uh, always uh, listen to the hedge. And I get a notification when it shows up in my pie catcher.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome. We love that because. We like listeners. (laughs) Yes, we do. I mean, well, so Roland, talk to us about DDoS. I know that um, Netscout just came out with a new DDoS report. So talk to us about what's going on with DDoS because, you know, that's a big deal.
0: Sure, sure. So a uh, little, little bit of, uh, of context here. So um, I'm working the ACER team um, within NETSCOUT, and we do a number of different things. And one of the things that we do is we do a lot of research uh, into DDoS. We do things like we uh, work to discover new DDoS vectors and then ways to defend against them. Um, and we also serve as a fourth-tier escalation for uh, DDoS uh, mitigation assistance within NETSCOUT. So we're the apex of the, uh, of the uh, mitigation escalation. Tree, which means that we're fourth tier escalation for a fairly large chunk of the internet for DDoS mitigation assistance. And what that means is that we're not ivory tower, you know, academics uh, who come up with theories and, and uh, uninformed by operational reality. We're very much hands-on uh, working to deal with the attacks. And so um, we're involved operationally uh, in that respect. And then we also twice a year uh, produce uh, the DDoS threat report. And uh, we have a, a pretty broad data horizon, we see something on the order of about 32,000, 33,000 DDoS attacks a day. And so uh, we pull that in and we use some, quote, big data, unquote, um, uh, technology to, to analyze and to take a look at it and see what's trending. And um, in many cases, we'll you know, see something anecdotally and we'll be able to go to the data uh, and to, to to prove or disprove a hypothesis. And increasingly, uh, we're having uh, a lot of insight that's actually emerging organically uh, from the data. And so we do this report uh, twice a year and um, we've uh, changed our format a little bit uh, we have uh, uh, a part of the uh, the threat report which you, everybody can go and get a free copy go to netscout, com slash threat report one word and it's a free registration and the reports online uh, with the interactive graphics and you can also download a, a PDF version if you like but what we've done uh, is uh, we, have a, we have an overall section where we talk about uh, the DDoS threat landscape in general across the whole internet and then we really zoom in uh in terms of geography so we have a section on APAC on EMEA on Latin America and North America and then we have some additional sections that are focusing on different facets um, uh, of, of, of DDoS as well and so that's a uh, received a pretty good reception and the good news is that if you're really focused on a particular region you don't have to go through the whole report if you don't want to you can just go and look at the particular region uh, that you're interested in or if you want to read the whole thing that's fine too um what I can tell you is that uh, in the first half of this year, we saw a little bit over 6 million uh, DDoS attacks. That's roughly one DDoS attack every 2.6 seconds. Um, the highest um, bandwidth single attack that, that that we saw directly was about 950. 58 gigabits per second and in terms of throughput uh, the highest uh, highest throughput single attack we saw was about 284 million packets per second and then in terms of vectors um, we've had something interesting going on in the last uh, 18 months or so and so to give a little bit of history uh, of course the you know the very first cdos attacks that we saw on arpanet and so forth in the early 1990s were all direct path attacks you know like uh, ctcp and dcc flooding from irc bots and then folks figured out they could use i CMP. And then, of course, there's that seminal uh, 1996 uh, synflood attack uh, against panics uh, in New York uh, that, that really brought synflood to the forefront. Um, but we've also had to deal increasingly with reflection amplification attacks over the years. And uh, this is an attack it requires uh, the attack infrastructure, to the bots, the attack harness, to be on a network that allows spoofing. And uh, so, uh, if you have the ability to spoof, you uh, you can then identify some different abusable services out there on the internet for example open dns recursors or ntp servers that have their some of their administrative functions exposed um, cldap uh, sstp there are a number of different different uh, services that can be abused this way and so if i wanted to to uh, attack Tom, I would what I would do is I would uh, have my attack infrastructure uh, send a bunch of requests to let's say a bunch of open recursive DNS servers, and I would spoof Tom's IP address and I would uh, do a, a a lookup, a DNS lookup for a record that I know will give a very large you know return, and so those recursive DNS servers would uh, obligingly go and and look up the the DNS record in question and then turn around and very helpfully. Answer Tom, even though he didn't uh, make the request, I did. Um, and th- those attacks have been around for a while. The first one that we really saw was back in uh, 1997. That was a smurfing attack where you had routers that would respond uh, uh, with directed ICMP broadcasts and, and amplify um, uh, the, the response considerably. And so if you could spoof, you know, someone's IP address, and you could send ICMP requests to, to those routers. You get, you know, all this ICMP back, and and so then. And that was uh, uh, fixed uh, in code. And so then we saw DNS reflection amplification uh, emerge, I believe, in around 2002. And we've seen a number of other vectors over the years. But the thing that's that about this is that for a long time, you had to have a really skilled adversary uh, who understood the protocols very well and understood, um, you know, how to stimulate these attacks. And it was always bespoke, you know, by hand. But in 2013, well, we saw the rise of the commercial DDoS for hire services. They're often called booter stressor services because they claim to, you know, be a stress testing service when everybody actually knows what they're doing. And so the folks who who uh, brought those DDoS for hire services out, those, those that particular group of criminals, they went ahead and weaponized some of the reflection and the amplification vectors. And so now um, you anyone can go to the web interface for a DOS for higher service and if you can just you know, type a little bit on the keyboard and click a mouse, you don't really have to understand TCPIP or the internet, but you can launch an attack that's up into the hundreds and hundreds of gigabits per second, for example, um, very, very easily. And so once that happened in 2013, SYN flooding, which had been really the, the most popular uh, DDoS attack vector by far, followed by things like ACK flood and uh, RST floods and some GRE flooding and things like that, uh, those uh, attacks never went away, but the reflection amplification stuff became very, very popular because now you could put a lot of bandwidth uh, on target. And so since 2013, um, DNS reflection amplification, very, very popular, NTP, CLDAP, SSDP, um, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different abusable services and they were always dominating in terms of the, just the sheer prevalence but um, about a year and a half ago uh, we started to see that change and what has happened is within the operational community generally there's been a recognition that there are some networks out there that still haven't deployed source address validation or anti spoofing and you know we had a lot of deployment of that from around late 1999 early 2000 through 2005 and then we kind of reached a plateau where we had more or less a Pareto distribution where something like 80% you know of the of the of the uh, very um, very uh, large uh, networks, a lot of reach, and a lot of the smaller ones too had deployed source address validation, so bots and attack harnesses that were on their networks or on their customer networks couldn't spoof anymore. Um, but then we were stuck there for a long time, and so there's been a realization that hey, let's let's encourage these other networks that haven't done this yet to uh, implement anti-spoofing on their networks. And when you take away the ability to spoof, you take away the ability to do direct past spoofed attacks like a spoof sin flood or a spoofed ACK flood or what have you. But you, more importantly, you remove this ability to do the reflection amplification attacks. And so as a direct result of these efforts, the number of networks that the bad guys can put their attack infrastructure on and use it to spoof, to initiate these reflection amplification attacks has shrunk considerably. And as a result, we've seen a... Renaissance of the direct path attacks, and so now um, all the amplification vectors are still there, and they're never going to go away. But our top vectors that we're seeing now: uh, number one vector in the first half of this year was ACK flooding, followed by SYN flooding. And then we had DNS reflection amplification, at number three. Then we had RST flooding at number four, and then TCP reflection amplification at number five, and so on. So that's kind of one of the big evolutions that we're seeing is this renaissance of direct path stuff.
1: So we so this thing with seeing this new jump in these direct attacks means that these attackers are willing to expose their sources in effect when they do the attack right because that's that's what tends to happen
0: that's a very insightful comment, and it's not that they're willing to. It's that they don't really have a choice because they've been forced into this. And so what has happened is that you know, because all of the there's economics, I mean, we have DDoS attacks that are, of course, driven by ideology, and we'll talk about that in, uh, in a few minutes. But a lot of you know, the underground uh, digital economy here is is driven by the profit motive, you know, DDoS extortion and, and uh, DDoS for hire that for commercial reasons and so on and so forth. And so what we've seen as a result is exactly what you're saying is that uh, now these sources, um, you know, they're on networks that can't spoof, and so they end up getting burned. And so this has sparked a fierce internecine um, uh, competition between the bad guys. They've always, you know, DDoSed each one another and tried to yank one another's bots and things like that, but it's gotten really, really uh, even more uh, intense as a result. And so the prices have gone up. Um, proxies are being abused as well. Open proxies um, are being abused to launch like, you know, Layer 7, HTTP, and HTTPS attacks, for example. And some of the bots, the botnets, especially some of the IoT botnets that we see that compromise things like um, home or small business routers, for example. A lot of those network infrastructure devices that can be subsumed into the botnets, they have proxy functionality built into them, like a SOX4 or a SOX5 proxy. And so um, what we're seeing now is that the attackers, um, in, in, in order to the attackers, rather the bot masters, are emphasizing the, the 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 illicit sale or rental of these proxy capable bots to the criminal end customers who actually want to launch the attacks and you know that uh, most spam uh, you know is proxying this way you know through through abusable proxies right but what we're seeing now is in the ddos ecosystem this has really become really prevalent and of course if you're an attacker and you have some amount of skill you can you know make sure that you're hiding the actual IP address of your attack generation infrastructure as you proxy it through um, these bots that have the proxies. And so you you still get to hide your actual attack infrastructure in the same way that a reflection amplification attack allows you to hide.
1: But but you're not hiding your resources that you're using. You're not, right. you're not hiding. Yes. Which means it could be that your botnet is taken down, but not through command and control
0: right that's exactly right and and you know and, and of course there's all you know we look for command and control and and so forth and other other researchers do as well but that that's exactly right Russ and and so what this means is that there's a a, a fierce competition uh to to find abusable systems to find more vulnerabilities or systems that are insecure have insecure defaults and in many cases are actually unsecurable, un- 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 right because they haven't been implemented with the with the right type of functionality by the vendors and so there's a mad scramble to to find these uh, uh, device devices exploits for these devices and some soon them uh, into botnets. And then the, the the price in the digital underground of, of accessing these proxy-capable bots, botnets, for example, has gone um, way up as well. Uh, and something else that we're seeing is server-class botnets. Now, the very first botnets on what was then called ARPANET were, were in fact, servers, because that's all that there was, right? They were Unix servers, and uh, they, were, they were actually Unix hosts that were running IRC daemons, you know, for Internet Relay Chat, and uh, there there was a particular type of bot that um, came out that was uh, used to, to manage channels on on these different um, IRC networks. And then some folks realized that, hey, there's a protocol called DCC, direct connection chat. and so layer 7 protocol uh, that's used to... To chat directly between IRC clients and and uh, can be used as a relay between IRC clients without involving the the larger IRC network. And we could actually use this layer seven uh, protocol to 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 attack other nodes. And then um, there's CTCP, which is like a layer seven ping for IRC that could also be used this way. And so the very first botnets were these egg drop, it uh, was the name of the egg drop uh, pearl-based bots. And so the really the first DDoS attacks that we ever saw on the then nascent internet were layer seven attacks. And it was servers attacking servers because that's all that there was. Well, with the rise of the workstation and the PC, that changed. We saw Windows-based botnets. And then starting in 2004, 2005, we started to see the the very first um, IoT uh, botnets. And of course, there have been Linux-based botnets uh, for a long time. Um, And then the, the, the big surge in the IoT stuff in 2016 with Mirai and all these different variants. And so Mirai has become the most most popular uh, D, uh, bot DDoS capable bot variant because of its relative simplicity uh, of management. It's been ported to many, many uh, different processor architectures. Most of them, you know, things like ARM and, believe it or not, Spark is still out there. You know, in the in the embedded world. <laughs> wow! Nice. <And, and> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so on and so forth. And 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 so we've also seen Mirai ported to Intel. And you may remember at the end of last year, there was a big scramble about some, some, uh, some high-profile server vulnerabilities. One of them was Apache Log4j. Uh, another one uh, was an Atlassian uh, confluence uh, vulnerability. And I don't remember the third one off the top of my head, but these were all server-based exploits that could actually, you wouldn't get root uh, on the server uh, unless, you know, the, the server admin were foolishly running, you know, the, the, the uh, compromisable server service as root but you could at least get into a you know a user context and so the bad guys were exploiting these and then they were botting these servers and subsuming them into uh, Mirai Intel botnets and so for example uh, late last year uh, the largest direct path attack that was seen to date was a 3.2 terabit per second attack and it was not reflection amplification it was direct path generated by these servers because you know the servers have uh, strong processors and more importantly they're in internet data centers or idcs where they have a lot of bandwidth and throughput at their disposal and so the you know the 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 attack traffic per per bot is very high with these. And so um, we we see uh, these server-based botnets that are being used. We also see cloud instances being popped on, compromised on some of the... Yeah, cloud cloud has to be,
1: cloud has, that has so much bandwidth and it's so easy to take over to some, some unprotected Kubernetes instances. (laughs) Instances. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right, and 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 then used to launch, you know, the outbound attacks. And so something else that we see as well is the bad guys will use some of their ill-gotten proceeds, you know, in, in uh, credit cards, stolen credit card numbers, uh, cryptocurrency if it's accepted or what have you, um, to to register accounts. And so a lot of these cloud services they actually have have it set up so that you can get like you know a week free or two weeks free to make sure that you you know like the service, and then your subscription starts in earnest after the trial period and so the bad guys have automated the setup, right, to, to dynamically create new trial accounts and then immediately install their attack harnesses um, in, in these uh, cloud instances and start using them uh, to launch DDoS attacks. And Of course, they expire and then they just keep you know, registering and re-registering and re-registering. And we've seen the same phenomenon, by the way, with the DDoS for hire services. Because remember, all these people are criminals, right? And so the same kind of credential stuffing that we see where the bad guys, you know, they have bots that try to brute force uh, user credentials for things like you know people's online banking and stuff like that. Well, some of these bad guys do it to one another's DDoS for hire services, and the DDoS for hire services um, would would end up getting compromised, and they would have these accounts that were created that, that would last for a while, and then um, you know they would be shut down for non-payment of criminal funds. But then uh, when the DDoS for hire operators went even further, and they offered a free tier of service, and so the DDoS for hire stuff is typically metered. Uh, based on the time and the number of simultaneous attacks, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, we have eight terabits per second or whatever. They have no idea how much bandwidth and throughput they really have, but what they can do is they can meter uh, based on time and based on simultaneous attacks. And so all of the DDoS for Hire services now um, have a free tier uh, that you can sign up for and you can do like, you know, attack then like five minutes at a time or something like that. And so the bad guys have written these credential stuffing things to dynamically sign up for these free accounts, right? And then so they can keep a constant, um, uh, you know, set of attacks attacks running by abusing the DDoS for hire service.
1: Do you have a do you have a sense of the interp- the the operations that are running? There's operations that are running botnets and operations that are running DDoS for hire. Are these usually different organizations? Or do yes. they are they usually yeah. the same or?
0: Well so, well, so, so, yeah, let's make sure for, for um, the audience here, let's make sure we, we, we define our terms here. So the DDoS for Hire Services do consist of botnets that are controlled by the DDoS uh, for Hire Service Operator. And um, most of the time, the folks who operate the server, the criminals who operate those services, in most cases, they're not launching attacks themselves. Instead, they are charging other criminals for the privilege uh, of launching attacks, right? And then there are the private botnets um, that are actually owned by, by criminals who actually launch attacks themselves. Uh, that, that, that's true as well. And so then you also have uh, like a botnet leasing model where it's not really a DDoS for higher service, but somebody has cr- constructed the botnet and then leases it out or at least leases out some of the functionality like their proxy software. We're talking to and so there's some some different categories here but basically just like with enterprise it you can do as much or as little yourself as you want and outtask the the non-core competency to somebody else if you want to do it that way
1: yeah it's it's interesting because this this really puts a different spin on ddos whereas before we were very concerned about open relays like mail servers and dns servers and stuff like that but now we need to be concerned about is The outbound traffic from our networks, this is a tragedy of the commons problem, right? I mean, nobody cares because, hey, I'm not the one being attacked.
0: That, that's it, that's it. Now, and of course, the thing is that it's a it's even in some ways it's a, a a false tragedy of the commons problem because the thing is outbound and crossbound DDoS attacks can be just as devastating, and and have as much of a negative impact, if not more, than inbound DDoS attacks. But the thing is, there's a mentality amongst those who even understand that this is a problem, they think, well, all DDoS attacks come in from my peers, right? And so I'm going to instrument my peering edge, and I'm going to make sure that I have some mitigation. Maybe I'll do. Some some network infrastructure-based mitigation with SRTBH or flows back, and maybe I need some intelligent uh, DDoS mitigation uh, as well to parse, parse further in the packet. But I'm going to focus on stuff that's coming in from my peers, or if I have upstreams uh, from from my upstreams. But in reality, if you have reflectors, amplifiers, it can be abused on your network, or your downstream customers have those. Or if you have bots that are on your network, um, or your customers have them, and they launch, they can launch uh, east-west you know, crossbound attacks where you have attack infrastructure located on customer A that's being used to attack customer B. Um, You can also have the outbound stuff. And increasingly, what we're seeing is what we're calling adaptive DDoS attacks. Now, what we mean by that is that these these are some very skilled uh, very operationally savvy attackers who go beyond the normal knowledge of of the internet because a lot of the attackers can't even spell tcpip much less ddos right and that's part of the sad part is that their attacks are often so successful due to the unpreparedness of the defenders and i'm not blaming the victim here these people are you know these organizations are victims of crimes but you know there's a certain amount of 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 preparedness and resiliency you really need to, uh, to to look at investing in if you're if you do anything important online and so what, what we're seeing is that these attackers who engage in the adaptive DDoS attacks, they really take a look and do an extensive pre-attack reconnaissance to look at the entire service delivery chain for whatever service, application, content, whatever it is that they want to disrupt. And they will often identify things, you know, not like the front end web server, not even the authoritative DNS, but something else that's part of that service delivery chain that maybe isn't adequately protected that they can go after. So that's one characteristic. Another characteristic is that increasingly what we're seeing is that the attackers will look for abusable resources that are directly top or as close as possibly topologically adjacent to to the actual target of the attack. And the reason that they do that is, number one, of course, they can potentially get a lot more bandwidth and throughput on target. But even more importantly to the attackers, the fewer administrative boundaries that the attack traffic traverses, the fewer opportunities there are to detect and classify and trace back and then mitigate that attack traffic and so we are seeing attacks where it's been very very obvious that the attacker has chosen bots or is leveraging reflectors, amplifiers that are directly adjacent to the target uh, in order to take them out. And this is this is a big problem for broadband operators. Any kind of eyeball network, whether it's broadband wireline, broadband wireless, we've seen this done deliberately uh, with the recursive DNS infrastructure of the broadband operator deliberately attacked using bots that are on you know the end customer um, home and small business and so forth networks of those broadband operator customers to. Take Take down the recursive DNS because most of the of the customers of that broadband operator, they're going to just use whatever the you know the recursive DNS is that's offered by the by the provider. And if that if, and if DNS is down, the internet's down, right? Uh, for, yeah. for for most people, and and so so we see that. And then the other thing that we see is we see this this as a form of collateral damage where there are. Um, Home IoT devices, like a lot of them are are home routers that have a a DNS forwarder built in, but the DNS forwarder is unfortunately made active on the Internet-facing interface. And so it basically is a DNS reflector amplifier that's open to the Internet. And so what happens in this case is that even if the broadband uh, provider has implemented source address validation across their entire um, customer aggregation edge so that, you know, none of their customers uh, can spoof, the back. Bad guys will engage with other bad guys who do scanning. And they will identify these re- DNS reflectors and amplifiers, and they will leverage them for attacks. And in many cases, these DNS forwarders uh, uh, are, are set up to use the um, recursive DNS infrastructure of the broadband ISP as the smart resolver, right? And so when the bad guy is spoofing uh, Tom's IP address and you know, making issuing a DNS query for this large record and sends that spoofed attack initiation traffic to hit all these DNS reflectors, amplifiers on their broadband access network. Well, the first thing that those things do is they turn around and they do the query for that large record, right? Well, they're pushing that query through the recursive DNS infrastructure of the broadband ISP and putting you know a higher QPS burden on it and then getting the answer back and then sending the amplified attack traffic, you know out across the peering links to hit the actual target of the attack or if the the target's local, you know sending it locally.
1: Yeah, Wow. so yeah. so I mean, In reality, you should be protecting your network. And by the way, the other thing I was going to say is I'm sure that the reason they're looking for resources close to the attack target to some degree is because in some cases, at least, people are using segmentation. Block things off. So, two things an attacker has to do is the first they have to do is they have to find something that's not impacted by segmentation, which is typically true of DNS, right? You don't typically segment out your DNS services. So, DNS is ideal. You don't normally segment out your NTP, your your network time protocol stuff. So, NTP is a great target. Uh, You don't typically segment out your email servers. So, email servers are a great target. Um, Whereas, if you're a smart network operator, you will segment out your internet of things stuff like your printers in a way that prevents them from being able to cross boundaries and, and that's going to be very helpful from a ddos perspective and so we think about it just in terms of migration a lot of times but there's also this ddos piece that we don't think about and so the other thing is is that if you're being used as a source of a reflection attack you are a victim as well and you need to try to fix that Right. That's right. You to detect it. And, 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 and
0: those it. services, those services, that, that, those things are being abused, whether they're, you know, home routers, whether they are recursive DNS infrastructure, whether, you know, it's time servers, whatever they are. Yes, there's a, a negative impact to the legitimate users and uses of those services, right? And so what we're seeing is that there's an increasing awareness of this in the operational community. So when we look at 5G, for example, right, we're getting now orders of magnitude, more bandwidth and throughput available to more and more devices. And we're seeing this service. Surge of machine-to-machine traffic because 5G, LTE was being used this way, and 5G even more so to do a lot of automated things, right? And, and these, these are these devices, things like thermostats and other types of things that in many cases they use protocols that even if you wanted to, you can't put them behind a CG NAT. And of course, we all know that NAT is not really a security technology. It has, you know, some security benefits in terms of keeping unsolicited connections off. And of course, it can also be a state vector, you know, for DDoS you know, uh, uh, driven uh, exhaustion. But the point being is that these, even if you wanted to, you couldn't use any kind of stateful inspection at all, which you know doesn't scale, obviously, on the Internet anyway. And so these things are insecure and unsecurable, and, and they're now being deployed en masse. And so then we're also seeing gig to the home. For example, right here at home, I have two different gig links, you know, because I, I have uh, redundancy uh, and it costs me about 30 bucks a month uh, to, to have that. And so what we're seeing is that because of this the, the the rise of 5G, the rise of gig to the home and so forth that now more than ever, the broadband operators have to take their own customers into account with their threat model. And this has always been the case to one degree or another, but it's, it's even more of an issue now. And they have to worry about preserving core bandwidth, for example, when you're looking at outbound DDoS attacks or you know, leveraging bots or reflectors amplifiers on their networks or you know, their, their their downstream customer networks. And so the other thing too, is that when we see these increasingly large attacks in many cases, you know, DDoS means distributed denial of service. And so that means we have a lot of sources that are used to generate the attack Traffic and what happens is you have a, maybe a relatively small amount of bits per second, and packets per second, requests per second. You know whatever the paradigm is of the given vector that, that's generated by each source. But as as those packets make their way um, towards the actual um, target of the attack, you know they start to, to the traffic starts to topologically converge, and you end up you know with a lot. You end up with hundreds of gigabits per second or terabits per second. You end up with hundreds of millions of packets per second, even you know, tens of millions of requests per second uh, at layer seven or, or, or queries per second that are all hitting at once. And so what we want to do is to leverage the distributed nature of the internet to take this large problem that we have now with this converged, uh, topologically converged DDoS attack traffic, and we want to break it back down into its smaller components where we can deal with it more easily. And so that's where we get the notion of DDoS suppression. You know, for the last 27, 28 years, we've been really focused on DDoS mitigation. We still have to focus on DDoS mitigation, but that's no longer enough. What we really have to do is to attack the problem where that DDoS attack traffic is being generated. And so the efforts to, to get folks to, to deploy source address validation you know, as universally as we can are a part of that, right? But things identifying reflectors, and amplifiers on your networks or on your customer networks and, and cleaning them up, uh, identifying bots, you know, paying attention to your crossbound traffic to your outbound traffic, this all falls under the rubric of DDoS suppression. And uh, also another another thing to think about is that uh, in, in many cases, we tend to, to think about taking where we have intelligent DDoS mitigation that can you know, parse a whole packet or do challenge response If you know for certain vectors that don't lend themselves to infrastructure-based mitigation. In many cases, we say, okay, well, let's we have our network and what we can do is we can build a centralized mitigation center or maybe some, some regionalized mitigation center and we'll use BGP to divert traffic dynamically into that mitigation center uh, when you know, one of our customers, one of our properties comes under attack and it allows us to oversubscribe. It gives us a lot of flexibility. It's a, it's a really good model. Um, but the thing is, if we have a centralized uh, mitigation center, or even if we have a, a regionalized set of mitigation centers on a network of any size, you still have that problem with that topological concentration of DNS attacks. And so what we really need to do is to say, we're going to do DDoS suppression at all of the edges of our network. We're going to do it certainly for the outbound and crossbound stuff at the uh, customer aggregation edge and we're going to do take our mitigation where we, you know, we're, we're getting the inbound actual attack traffic. We're going to mitigate that at across our uh, our peering edge uh, as well for the inbound stuff. But also when we see like this this attack initiator traffic that 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 stimulates these reflection amplification attacks, we want to suppress that at the peering edge or the upstream traffic. Transit edge as well, and so that's what we are uh, part. What part of what we have really come to the conclusion of is that we have to work towards this default stance of DDoS suppression uh, because the increased amounts of bandwidth and throughput, and increased am- amounts of compromisable, uh, abusable nodes, is going to overwhelm us otherwise as, as you know uh, on the internet as a whole.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, which means we 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 have probably never thought before about DDoS protection within the network. And it it is, it is something that's
0: new. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's always been a problem. You know, I've, for, for, I think the first time I saw this was 23, 23 years ago, where there was a bot that was present on an endpoint, uh, you know, endpoint network, um, and, and a stub network, and it was launching outbound DDoS attacks. And, uh, it was sitting behind a stateful firewall. And of course it filled up the, the, you know, the state table of the stateful firewall, caused it to collapse, which meant that everything that was behind that stateful firewall, uh, was also down. And that was the result of outbound DDoS attack. And so this is, you know, we see this from time to time, um, Uh, But it's now becoming even more the norm. And something else that we're concerned about uh, is the rise of intranet DDoS attacks. And so what what we mean by that is that, you know, we, we see you know, all kinds of, of confidentiality and integrity types of, of attacks going on where the where the attackers want to break into an organization. They want to steal intellectual property. They want to get access to the ACH system to, you know, to steal funds from the organization's back account, or they want to install ransomware so that they can then do a ransomware attack, right? And so when the attackers do this, they a lot of times they leverage a social engineering vector to get, you know, someone to run malware and then they use that as a bridge and a stepping stone. And they perform All kinds of reconnaissance inside that organization's network and to identify whatever it is that they want to attack. Well, the thing is, when they're inside that network, they have a whole lot of systems that they can compromise, that they can turn into bots. They have a lot of IoT devices, things like SIP hardware phones, things like Wi Fi access points, things like online printers and scanners and HVAC systems and things like that that are insecure and in many cases unsecurable. And if like most enterprises, if those enterprises have not segmented this stuff off and put it under very, very tight you know, access control, then the bad guys can can find those things and bot them. And once they're in there, they can perform some very extensive network reconnaissance and identify the critical line of business applications like CRM systems and accounting systems and and um, the, the HVAC systems and, and manufacturing process control and stuff like that. And they could potentially launch DDoS attacks that are are 100% inside that enterprise LAN or WAN, you know, uh, MPLS, VPN, whatever it happens to be. And they can do that for DDoS extortion. They can do it if they have ideological motivations. They can do it for reasons they want. And then, of course, uh, most of these organizations, they don't have the ability to really detect or classify and trace back DDoS attacks, especially inside. And so they're not going to understand what's going on. And when they eventually figure it out, they're going to call up, you know, their ISP, for example, or their managed security service provider and say, hey, we're being DDoS, you know, help us help this and the isp or the mssp is going to look at their their um instrumentation say we don't see any DDoS attack traffic at all and they won't because it's all internal that's
1: crazy that's totally crazy that we're at this point but yeah i mean goes back to basic security hygiene segment your network pay attention to what's going on know what normal looks like although i was reading some research recently that i thought was fascinating that talked about how um impossible it is to know what normal is in a network like we say that oh know what normal looks like but then they were talking about training ai their attempts at training in ai to figure out what normal looks like and they were like that doesn't really work that well (laughs) try again
0: (laughs) well yeah, you know the, what we call AI is not AI, of course, right? Yeah, it's, uh, of course, you it's know, machine, learning. machine learning and all that. It's it's really you know some some pretty advanced forms of statistical analysis that have some interesting feedback loops, and that technology has a lot of uses and it's great, but it's important to understand you know what the limitations are. Uh, and there's another uh, another trend that we see too uh, when folks first become aware of this, they instantly want to jump to the packet, and packet analysis is extremely important, and you have to have the ability to do that. But to complement your micro analytics at the packet level, you also need to be able to step back and look at the big picture that's where flow telemetry comes in or that's where you know broadly based packet analysis from multiple points around the network lets you see the big picture and if you step back you can then discern some of these trends and you can do some reasonable baselining right because if you take a look at you know application layer DDoS attacks for example http or https uh, application layer attacks or uh, you know dns uh, non-existent record query floods like you know dns quote water torture unquote that traffic can be crafted in many cases by a very skilled attacker to try and blend in to the degree possible but even so in 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 so many cases there's just a, such a strong signal there that even though the traffic from a layer four perspective maybe even from a layer seven perspective um you know on its on its face uh if you look at any one of those facets it it appears to, to blend in really well with legitimate traffic, but the totality of it, you know, there's a, a pretty obvious signature, uh, you know, that the, the stands out there that can be used to say, OK, this is attack traffic and we need to do something about it. And and so, um, you know, we, we need to make sure that when we're making use of some of these newer technologies that we keep this in mind and let's let's look at things at both the micro analytical and the macro analytical levels and and um, make sure that we don't zero in that we don't. Prematurely optimize essentially right yeah. for for one one facet of it and something else to consider too is that because we have a globalized economy and this, this became very apparent uh, during the COVID pandemic well we you know we first of all we saw a huge surge uh, upward surge in DDoS attacks as you know as with the 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 pandemic and the move the en masse move to, to work work at home and learn at home um, and what what we've seen is that the attackers have done things like they they work to identify the VPN Concentrators uh, for for an organization, for example, and of course they do that because people put a VPN in the you know the DNS record for, yeah, the, for the for the for the for for, for the concentrator, so they identify that and they launch um, you know they want to do DDoS extortion, for example, or they have an ideological motivation or what have you, they launch a DDoS attack. And, you know, against the online properties, you know, the, the web, the e-commerce system, the authoritative DNS, whatever it is. And then they also go ahead and they attack the VPN concentrator uh, because that does a couple of things. First of all, if the security team trying to respond and they're, they're working remotely, well, they can't get in. And also because of this shift to on, you know, on uh, mass shift to, to remote work and in education, you the attackers now for the very first time can affect the ability of the frontline workers to perform. Perform their most basic job functions because those those frontline workers are are dependent upon those VPN concentrators uh, being available and and so we've seen we've seen this over and over and over again. Of course, supply chain has been globalized, right? And so you'll see in many cases where uh, the ultimate target. Uh, you know, of an attack in terms of trying to disable or disrupt the operations of that organization, the organization's online properties are not attacked directly at all. Instead, again, with adaptive DDoS attacks, these attackers will do not only a technological analysis, but an economic analysis of the entire supply chain of that organization. And they'll identify a key supplier that may be in a completely different region of the world, different country that hasn't implemented DDoS protections. And so they will go after that organization in order to disrupt the 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 operations of the actual true target of the attack and you know we we've always seen uh, ideological motivations, political, religious, what have you, for DDoS attacks ever since they've been around. But of course, with the recent unpleasantness in Ukraine, uh, we've seen the the true emergence of, of hybrid hybrid warfare, where there is the the kinetic component taking place on the ground, and there is some orchestration with the online world. And of course, you know there was a, a attack campaign in Estonia in two thousand and seven, uh, Georgia, Kazia in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. There's been others in the ROK, and uh, we see this in the here in the APAC region a lot when they're, when tensions escalate in the region, then we see DDoS attacks. And most of these attacks are actually performed, it appears, by arm's length actors that are not necessarily direct state actors, but they are, in many cases, criminal groups who are given a certain amount of leeway by the security services of, of a given country with the understanding that if that... Uh, country calls upon them, to, you know, to target uh, a particular polity that, that they'll do it. And so we saw a, a tremendous upsurge in DDoS attacks against uh, both Ukraine and Russia at the beginning of ground operations um, uh, in in the Ukraine. And then we saw, uh, after a period of time, we saw a big drop-off in DDoS attacks uh, against Ukraine. You know why? Any guesses?
1: Because a lot of the DDoS people live in Russia.
0: <laughs> mm, okay. Or, so that, or, or not
1: live in Russia, but they're actually, I would assume that a lot of that comes out of the Russian
0: yeah. right but 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 right and so what we're seeing it we saw the the you know attacks against first we saw attacks against Ukraine and then the Ukraine attacks went down so what happened was so much of that infrastructure was successfully attrited and it migrated to other countries and so a lot of these Ukraine focused services and applications and content migrated to countries like Ireland and countries like Iceland oh, for okay. example and what do, and, and then what do we see we saw a Tremendous upsurge in DDoS attacks against Ireland, against Iceland, for example. Hmm. Right. So, at, at, so yeah. it's, you know, the DDoS attacks are following, following the targets. Even in, in, a, in a mobile, dynamically provisioned world, the, the attackers are paying attention um, to what's going on, and, and so we've seen that. And so, here in APAC, for example, you know, there are a lot of tensions uh, in this region. There's a lot of contention um, uh, having to do uh, with China and Taiwan and North Korea and the United States. Involvement and so on and so forth. And so, uh, here in APAC, for example, um, in Taiwan in particular, uh, just, just one example, we saw the largest number of DDoS attacks that we've seen to date against targets in Taiwan. It was more than 3,000 attacks. In a single day. Well, and of course, we we can't really attribute this, but you know, we can we can look and and assign some probabilities. We took a look at what was going on there. Well, a couple of days before before that attack was launched, there had been a rally in support of Ukraine in the capital of Taiwan, which is Taipei. (laughs) And then the very and so then the very day of the attack. Um, the Taiwanese envoy to the United States, that organization had actually sponsored uh, an online uh, symposium with a very prominent think tank that w- and so this was sponsored by Taiwan's representatives of the United States, basically denouncing the Russian invasion of Ukraine. on the very day that the attack was launched and so then we took a look at the attack dynamics and the attacks were most of them were layer 7 https attacks and interestingly enough most of the sources were in russia For those attacks. Um, And of course, you know, uh, DDoS is a global phenomenon. I can, you know, uh, here in in Southeast Asia, I can use attack resources in North America or Europe or South America to launch an attack. But when we see the geopolitically um, um, motivated attacks or attacks that appear to be geopolitically and ideologically motivated, sometimes the attackers want to send a message, right? And and so uh, we've seen that we saw some uh, attacks, uh, a very high number of attacks, hitting um, uh, providers in Hong Kong uh, during the Shangri La uh, regional security dialogues that were taking place they were hosted by Singapore. And there was a lot of contention between the United States and, and China, uh, for example, uh, at the at, uh, at at that conference. And then we see this this attack against resources in Taiwan, and we don't know, but we believe that there may have been some content or you know something that's being leveraged uh, that that had some bearing on that and someone didn't like it and decided uh, to launch a DDoS attack. And so um, we've seen some some attacks against financial institutions in the Middle East that have a a large proportion of customers in Russia. And that goes back to the Soviet period because many— Countries in the Middle East were Soviet client states uh, during during the Cold War, and they had Russian customers. Who you know, how are they obtained the wealth? They ended up you know wanting to bank offshore, and they ended up going to these banks in the Middle East. And so we've seen some of these um, banks in the Middle East that have a high high number of, of customers out of Russia get attacked. Seemingly, and we know we don't know this. We're just you know we're we're just observing here. Seemingly, uh, in some cases. Um, uh, adjacent to events that are taking place in the physical world. And so what's the point of all this? The point is that in a globalized economy where many organizations have things that are necessary for the services that they're delivering the goods that they're producing are farmed out all over the globe you have to make sure that not only that your own online properties are um have been hardened that you've implemented the best current practices and that you can that you can exhibit resilience in the face of attack but that all of your dependencies Right. Other organizations have also done the same thing because you can end up being collateral damage, essentially, for some dispute that's on the other side of the world that has nothing to do directly with you or your organization. But if you have critical dependencies there and they, those critical dependencies are made unavailable, then that can you know bring your business uh, grinding to a halt.
1: Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, we should probably wrap up, Roland. We could talk about this all day, I'm certain. <laughs> but um, yeah, we should probably wrap up. And we should do another one of these. I mean, it's good. We we have a lot of other topics we can talk about, about work life and stuff. We should get you on, on a fairly regular basis. You're on my regular guest list. I just never seem to get in touch and do anything about it. Um, so yeah. So uh, where can people follow you? To, I don't think you blog or anything, but you
0: I, you know, it's funny. I, I end up right. I end up doing a lot of DDoS research with my colleagues in the ACERT team, and we we have a, a web blog slash uh, um, ACERT slash blog I believe is the URI for that, and what we we publish our uh, analysis of DDoS DDoS attack vectors and DDoS attack campaigns, things like that. And then the threat report that we just we just covered just a very small proportion of it in this conversation. It's available freely online. You can go to www.net scout.com slash threat report. And again, it's just a free registration and we have all kinds of interactive graphics and charts and things like that. And so an, something else that we have as well is very interesting. I, I mentioned earlier that we see something like 32, 33,000 DDoS attacks a day. What we do is we take that information and we make a, a good chunk of it available publicly for free. If you go to www.netscout.com slash horizon, you can again sign up for this free service. And it's not quite real time. The stats are delayed by about an hour but you can actually see DDoS attack traffic that's taking place attacks and will tell you the attack vectors and the bits per second packets per second what have you where uh, where are the attacks originating in terms of regions uh, countries localities and where are they targeted and there's you know the, the obligatory map you know that shows you know the graphics yeah, of, the, of course, you yeah, know the yeah, war game yeah, style map. you know kind of thing but <laughs> but you can actually if you sign up for an account if, if you're interested in a particular country or region or a vertical market you can actually say Some reports, and you can go back there and check it at any time. And you know, we make that freely available as a service to the operational community and to help raise awareness, you know, so that folks can understand the trends, uh, what's taking place. But thank you so much for having me on. Oh, yeah,
1: no, it's uh, awesome. It's always great having you on, Roland. It's awesome. Okay, so yeah, people should go to Arbor or go to um, Netscout. I say Arbor because it used to be Arbor, and it's still in the back of my head okay we,
0: we, we still are um uh, you know we're we, we, you know uh, the, the the division that i'm a part of is is, is arbor and the products are in the solutions that we that we uh produce are, are still arbor we're part of the net family and very happy to uh, have to okay. be part of that
1: family. awesome awesome great so thanks again roland and i'm russ white you can always catch me here on the hedge and at rule 11.tech and on linkedin and here and there whatever you'll find me if you want me to thanks for joining us for this episode of the hedge and we'll catch you next time
0: Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.